Oh man, are you glad to be in the house of God? I don't know if you're coming from a background or a, a journey that's been far from God. We welcome you. We kind of built Venue Church for you, if that's for you. But we want to... Uh, there's spiritual family available to you. Pastor Nate, he... he he uh, sent me his sermon notes, and I'm like, this is perfect for Venue Church right now, right here. And it's all about family, and we want to give you an invitation. If you've never been in a spiritual family where people like know your name, but more than that, they celebrate with you, and they go through joys and journey and suffering and hardships with you. We want to invite you to Venue Church, to this family. I, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. Pastor Nate Pacini from Substance Church in Minneapolis. Sometimes you meet people you just can't get away from. And I feel like sometimes, um, sometimes what God does is he sends people to you. In fact, often that's how he speaks. He sends people to you, and the, the person is a gift, and a gift from God. If I receive the person that God sends to me, and God will send you people, I think, in your church family. Did you know that this is like the church, the local church, is the only place where it all can happen in one spot? Like in one, it's, it's incredible what God can do. But it says that Jesus is the bread from heaven, but sometimes what he does is he sends a person to you who breaks off the bread in little pieces that you can eat. Now, here's the thing. I know that Pastor Nate's, the word from God that he has for us is perfect for you right now because it's perfect for me. It's exactly what I needed to hear this morning. But here's the thing. Um, you actually have to take it and put it in you or it's not going to do you any good. And so already I'm like, yes, let's talk to me from God. Show me those things from God that I need. And, and when he breaks it down for you, but the thing is you have to do your part. And when you do your part, then there's nothing that can stop you. But don't make Pastor Nate today like you help him preach because don't make him be like Mama Bird who got to chew it for you and then like... Don't embarrass me, Venue Church. I want you to bless the man of God today. Come on and preach it out for us, my brother Nate. Come on, let's give it up for Pastor Corey, Pastor Aaron. Come on, look at this. Three years, three years. Three years represents faithfulness. Three years rep represents sacrifice. Three years represents going all in every single week. That's a lot of Sundays. Okay, 52 times three. Someone do the math. Some math genius out there. It's like 156 Sundays. 156 times of showing up and saying, I want to see a city changed and transformed for Jesus no matter what it takes. And so thank you. Thank you. I, I feel God's presence here. And I, I want you to know you two are honorable. I, I spend my time, I'll get into that a little bit, with a lot of churches and a lot of people. And a lot of people have been hurt by the church. A lot of people feel rejected by the church. They feel incompatible with the church. And so thank you for having a heart for a city and a heart for people. Especially those who feel like they don't belong. For ones that feel like there's no place for me, you've made a place for them. You made a place for them in this city. You've actually made a place for the body of Christ in this city. And it's exciting. And I, I'm excited to be here. I flew all the way up from Minneapolis, Minnesota, in the United States of America to spend my Sunday with you because uh, it's worth coming here. 
It's worth showing up in Airdrie to, to spend a Sunday with people that you're just at the beginning of, of something that this city has never seen. And, and listen, I, I be, the local church is the hope of the world. And if we can get the expression of the local church that Christ intended correct, then we can reach everybody. Come on. A life saved is worth it all. And so thank you for your sacrifice, your whole family, your kids. You're in it together. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm more honored by the work that you two have done in your marriage, that you've done in your, to be healthy, to fight for health, than anything else. And so, thank you. Could we honor our pastors one more time? I want to thank you to every, every team member, every person who showed. I was here last night, and I was like, is this church? Church is happening tonight. All the people are here. There's a huge collection of people that show up to set up and to, to, to make this place accessible to you. I just so so thankful that we have more space now with two services, and God is doing something beautiful here. You have to know it's beautiful. This expression is beautiful. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I came here about a year ago uh, in April and, and got a chance to spend some time with you, but if we haven't met yet, my name is Nate Puccini once again, and I help lead a, a, an amazing church, a crazy church, a bizarre church called Substance in, in Minneapolis, and, uh, and I want to show you a picture of my family. I've been married 18 years. I have two kids, and there's my beautiful family. My, my son Noah, he's 10. My daughter Addison, she's 8, and my beautiful wife Jess uh, I won't tell you her age, and uh, she came on staff as well at Substance, and she does all our design and decorations. She's amazing. I'm here because of her. I'm here because of her sacrifice and her allowing me to have space and time to come be here with you, and, and, and I want you to know it, it's truly an honor. I, like I mentioned, I help lead a, a crazy church called Substance. I, I, I oversee um, all of our staff there, and I serve uh, Pastor Peter, Pastor Carolyn, who co-lead our church. But the, the crazy story about our church and even how it got its name is my pastor, actually, uh, he's, he spoke here before, he actually gave his life to Christ in a nightclub while DJing. He, he was a rave DJ of, of all things, and he was miserable and, and just lost and, and uh, had experienced some tragedy in his life, and he just had a friend who said, hey, why don't, hey, Peter, why don't you just ask God to reveal himself to you? And so in that nightclub, he prayed a prayer. 30 seconds later, someone came up and said, hey, this may be weird, but Jesus has a plan for your life, and he wants you to follow him. And so he went all out for Jesus that day, and, and decades later, my life is the collateral blessing of someone uh, praying a prayer and saying yes and going after Jesus. And so I stand here today uh, really on behalf of him. I stand here today on behalf of my pastor, uh, he sends his love to you. He sends his love to the church. He just texted me asking how it was going, and I said, it's fun. I'm having the, the time of my life, uh, and I get to do it again. We get to be here again. Uh, and so Pastor Corey said, just do what you want, and so I'm going to do what I want. Uh, I, I thought it would be appropriate to share a little bit of my story. Uh, I haven't always been a, a pastor at a church, actually. I did grow up a pastor's kid. I grew up, I, my, my grandfather was a pastor, my dad was a pastor, so uh, like pastor's kids, we grow up in the church.
church. I was at, at, at your kids are all here. Uh, we grew up in the church. I, I was at church three, three services a week. I was at church every day. I went to every camp service. I went to every youth event. I did all the dramas in the youth group. I, I, me- I was on the Bible team. I memorized scripture. I, I mean, I was a church nerd. On Sunday, I sat the Bible right next to me because I didn't want a woman between me and Jesus. And, uh, and so that was saved for the Lord. And, uh, you know, so I grew up knowing church and understanding church. And, and, and I, I knew when to raise my hand and I knew when to close my eyes. And as a pastor's kid, I always looked around when everyone was supposed to close their eyes. And uh, I knew all the secret hacks of, like, where was the Sunday school candy hidden so I could steal it. Um, listen, I knew church. I knew church. But the older I got, there was some bitterness that came into my life about how the church treated my family and how they treated people and how people in the church are actually really horrible people at times. Anybody ever been hurt by the church? Anybody ever heard that Christians are hypocrites? And so as I began to get older and I walked into college, I began to get a little cynical about the church. I went to Bible college and I became a youth pastor and I got hurt again by a church and began to get more cynical about the church. And uh, while being a youth pastor, I was actually recruited by a company that I had worked for in college to come work for them. And they offered me a six-figure income and in Canadian dollars, that's a lot of money. Uh, And by age 25, I was successful in climbing the corporate ladder in America. And I was achieving the dream of being significant and people knowing me and recognizing me and having a big income and and by 26 I made my first million dollars and once again in Canadian dollars that's like 40 million dollars <laughs> right I'm really bad at the, how that works but by age 27 I had a chance to purchase a company and I, I grew it to 17 locations we were doing about 17 million a year in revenue and on paper I was important on paper I was successful according to my family they're all in ministry and the ministry doesn't necessarily pay well. They're like, this guy's successful. He's made it. He's recognized. I was known on a national level. I was rewarded for my behavior. But the truth inside of me, I was broken. I was hurting. I had a 10-year eating disorder I never told anybody about. I hid it from everybody. It was bad. I ended up in the hospital, lied about it. My marriage was in maintenance mode. It was barely held together. I was okay if I lost my marriage. I was a workaholic. I had no accountability in my life. I had secret sins in my heart, in my life, my decisions. I had sexual sins, things I struggled with, and I was completely miserable. You see, the world recognized my success based on a career, based on a bank account number, based on my house and my vehicles, but inside, I was dying. And slowly death was sneaking into my heart and began to not care about people. And I had a friend one day who recognized the level of misery. Someone that today I I consider my best friend. And he made an invitation to me. And he said, hey, I I know you've been hurt by the church, but there's there's a different kind of church out there. There's a church that cares for people. And they meet in the high school, and, uh, and it's really dark in there, and you can't really see anything, and the music's real loud, and lights move around. So it's kind of like this. And, 
And he says, would you just go with me? Would you uh, bring your family? We'll go to lunch afterwards. Would you show up with me? And I remember going into that auditorium, sitting eight rows back over here. My arms crossed, and I was bitter, and I was hurt. And I criticized everything they did. And then next week, he invited me to go again. He says, hey, come. My family will be there. You can bring your family. We'll go to lunch afterwards. And next week, he invited me again. And I began to soften. Something in me just began to soften. And I could, I could hear the Lord's voice again. And he was speaking to me. And he was saying something to me. And he was saying, I love you. I've never given up on you. I've never failed you. I never quit. I was always there. Through your isolation and through your pain, I was always there. I weeped with you. And that invitation began a transformation in my life. It's the greatest privilege to stand in front of you and share my story. And that invitation led to more invitations. There was this girl in the middle of all of this. Her name was Grace. And uh, she's a 19-year-old intern at Substance Church. And Grace saw me in the hallway. And she said, hey, well, you want to serve in kids with me? And I'm like, oh, no, I don't. We said, no, come serve with me. Serve. Like, we want you to be a part. You have little kids. Come be with your kids. And you just serve a service. You can go into the next service. It'll be awesome. And so I, I took a step. I stepped in, and I began to serve. And it, it began to lead me from isolation to a deeper transformation. And then along came a guy named Daniel. And he said, hey, would you go to my, would you go to my small group with me? Would you show up? Would you come? We're going to play basketball, and we're going to just have a time of prayer together. Would you just show up? And so I went. I took Chad with me. We went, and we played some horrible basketball, and we prayed together. And a guy named Bill came along, and he said, hey, on Monday nights, I get tacos with a group of guys. You want to come? We just, we just talk, and we pray together. Started showing up on taco night. That's what you do on Monday nights in America. We have tacos. And then that guy, Chad, he uh, invited me to Thursday nights to hang out and have real accountability and start getting honest and start confessing things and start dealing with the mess in my life. And I'd show up with a group of guys that over appetizers and, and everything's better over appetizers. And we began to, to pray together and we began to get honest with each other and we began to deal with the struggles in our life as married men. And uh, soon after that, a, a guy came along named Peter Haas, a Kind of like your pastor, just a crazy, kind of gregarious pastor. And he said, hey, I see something in you. I want to invite you to, hey, would you consider you're a successful businessman to come be on my board and, and help the church navigate finding locations and help us. And, and he began to mentor me spiritually and in leadership. And, and during that time, a guy named Jeff came along. And, and Jeff said, hey, I see something in you. Would you like to lead a small group? And I launched my first small group, and then soon after, a guy named Jordan came along, and, and Jordan said, hey, Wednesdays, the pastors get together and play basketball. You want to come play basketball? And we'd spend time praying together and just being friends. And so I showed up at basketball, and, and during that time of going to basketball, I met a guy named Bart. And Bart became a, a deep, close friend of mine, a spiritual mentor in my life, and he invited me to get up at 5 a.m. every morning and begin to work out and uh, get healthy physically. And he invited me to come start training with him to do triathlons. And I thought that was crazy. I'd never done anything like that in my life. But an invitation was leading 
to a transformation. And we did five triathlons together, setting record times together, spending time together. And just so happened that relationship began to develop and this person was in, responsible for hiring at Substance. And I began to just allow that dream to come awake in me again that was there from a young age but had been silenced by the pain and misery of isolation and shame. And the dream began to come alive in me again, and I began to profess my, my passion to see people in brokenness come to hope. And he said, hey, I believe there's a calling on your life for ministry. We want to make a place for you and space for you on our team, and would you consider doing that? And at this time, I'm running all of these stores, and there was a decision I had to make. I had to decide, do I, do I go half in to business, half in to ministry? And for me, this is my story, I had to burn that plow, and I had to go all in, and I sold my business, and I went all in, and these series of invitations have led to a complete transformation from isolation to wholeness, and the joy of the Lord is my strength. And my hope today is that you would not just hear an exciting story but you would open your hearts to the Holy Spirit who wants to transform each and every one of us today. Do you believe that? I don't know what your background is. I don't know what you're walking through. But I do believe that God can reveal himself to anyone, anyone at all. Who believes that in this room today? And listen, you may be in this room and you have loved ones and you may feel like it's, it's too far gone and Sometimes we start believing the lie that people are beyond the saving grace of God. And it's not true. It is not true. But I do think, at times, people are incompatible with church and what they've seen in church and what church has done to them. And so today, here's what I'd love to offer you. What if we reinvented the way we thought about church? Get this stat. Less than 1% of people under the age of 40 attend church on a weekly basis at all in North America. I think that's a devastating stat, but I think if you actually looked into your life, you would see that's pretty common. Pastor Corey picked me up today, and we drove by all the hockey arenas. And there's a lot of people in those parking lots, and I'm not condemning that. But a church alive is worth going to and community of people that are there and accessible and available for other people will move the heart. And I truly believe that the local church is the hope of the world. It's the hope of your marriage. It's the hope for the addiction you feel trapped in. It's hope for the isolation you're walking in. It's hope, hope for the shame and the defeat and the struggle you're going through. I'm here today to say there's something greater. What if we could reinvent the way we think about church? So let's check out this scripture. We're going to throw it up on the screen here. James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So we see here in scripture uh, the result of confession and prayer. It's not just to God, which we practice at times in the church, but it's horizontal prayer one to another, is where healing truly takes place. And I just wonder how many people today are, are lacking healing in their life because they're lacking confession of sin. Yeah. 
to another person. You see, as an immature believer in my life, in my journey growing up in the church, I, I, I was hoping that maybe just an altar experience would actually resolve the sin in my life, because otherwise it was just too embarrassing to deal with it. It was too embarrassing to get honest about an eating disorder, or pornography, or whatever sexual sin or struggle that you may be facing. Whatever anxiety you may be facing today. thought it could be resolved by... Another tear-filled worship song. You can have my whole heart, God. And that would just be enough. But it never was. Perhaps I could just memorize another scripture. Maybe I could just hear another one of Pastor Corey's sermons and it would just move me to transformation. But really what I needed was confession to another person and accountability in my life to be truly transformed. And listen, I, I think this is the hardest jump to make for all of us because uh, we, are not, we are as healthy as our current disciplines. That's as good as it gets. And you can't look back on how you were 20 years ago and say, well, I could run a marathon 20 years ago. I'm like, bro, you haven't run in 10 years. You're not running a marathon. You're only as healthy as your current disciplines. And we see in Scripture, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We know that, right? But what's the key ingredient? It's humility. Humility is. And it's the willingness to experience humiliation. I remember one day in this journey of just getting healed and made whole, I was sitting in a parking lot. It was a Mexican restaurant where all great things happen. I'm sitting in this parking lot, and my wife's there, and I, I knew a part of my journey and all this invitation and transformation taking place in my life. I had to confess my shame to the very person I had given my life to, to serve in marriage. And I sat there for an hour and a half, and I told her everything, every single thing that you could think of. And it was humiliating. It was embarrassing. I probably told her things she never even needed to know. I, I just, this was my moment. I needed to get it all out. I needed to just deal with it. It was humiliating. But that humiliation led to a transformation. And when I got past that shame that the devil wants to hold you in, there was freedom on the other side. There was joy on the other side. There was purpose on the other side. And listen today, I want purpose for you. I want joy for your life. I want freedom in your situations. And maybe if you have loved ones in this room and you just don't know how they're going to experience the joy of the Lord, well, we need to look at ourselves and say, is it me lacking joy in my life that other people are not experiencing joy? Because you reflect who you are. You see, I wanted to believe the biggest problem growing up as a pastor's kid since I knew everything was simply knowledge. But knowledge never transformed me. We know this in life. Uh, some of you are doing the fast right now. Uh, we know that, that kale and spinach equals good, right? <laughs> Pastor Corey bought me this drink. It had kale in it and all this awesome stuff. It had sweet potatoes in it. I'm like, how do they get sweet potatoes in there? It's healthy. Pizza's bad. We know we should work out every day. We should eat healthy. But are we doing that? Are we doing it? Are we doing it? Not at all. Some of you are. You see, knowledge is not our problem. It's realness. It's prayer. It's accountability. And you need friends who can look you in the eye. Like Pastor Corey and I have become really close friends. And, and he'll ask me, and I'll ask him, how are you really doing? 
How you really doing, man? Let me help you. If you're not doing good, let's pray together. Let's talk it out. Let's be available to get real, to get honest, to, to deal with this stuff. Because, listen, you're one step away from a transformation. You're one step away today from a transformation in your life. I believe it. I'm convicted by it. I'm convinced of it. God has a transformation accessible and available for you in this room today. Your miracle can, can begin on this Sunday, January 5th, 2020. This could be your Sunday of a breakthrough. This could be your Sunday of experiencing healing and wholeness. And yes, for me, it was a journey over many years. And I'm still on the journey. But you got to start somewhere. And it started with an invitation. I want to give you this principle that I've learned in the process. When I went from knowledge to application, I went from knowledge to accountability, and it wasn't just merely listening to, listening to the word, therefore doing what it, it was, not listening to the word, it was doing what the word says, excuse me. It was application of the word in my life, and I learned this principle, and we'll put it up right here, the humiliation principle. I'm just, I want to teach this to you today. You may want to write this down. The degree to which you are willing to humiliate yourself is the degree in which God's grace is dispensed in your life. Or another way to say it is, you rise to the level of your own humiliation. Everything in God's kingdom is inverted. That's not what the world taught me. That's not what my career taught me. It taught me to be the best to be the success, to be promoted, to be seen, to be wealthy, to be known. Everything in the kingdom is to serve, is to surrender, is to submit. If you're struggling to get authentic, I promise you, in confession, God responds. I promise there's a response from our Father. And I know that's a fear. I know there's a fear of consequences. I know there's a fear of what will people think. But would you set yourself free today? We see in Luke 5, I love this story. It's the story of Jesus. All these stories about Jesus and doing miracles are the best. They're the best. You've got to consume it. You've got to get it in your life. This is, our, this is our Savior. Look what he's doing here. Jesus was teaching at Peter's house in Capernaum. And, and, and listen, when Jesus would teach, crowds would just... Would, would flock in and surround it. And the crowds were so large around this house because people were just leaning in, trying to hear the words of the Messiah. And the crowds were, were so large that there was this paralytic man. He was paralyzed. He could not walk. He was laying on his mat. And he had friends that, that, that were available and accessible to him to help him get to Jesus. And the friends couldn't get through the crowd, so they went up on the roof of this house. And they began to rip a hole in the roof of this house. Just imagine you're at home right now and someone's ripping a hole through your roof. In, in America, we call that vandalism. I don't know what they call it here. But it was a hole large enough to lower a man through it. And, and finally, they were able to lower this man down before Jesus. And, and, and what happened next? What happened next in this story? Did Jesus condemn these men for destroying another man's house, for vandalizing his property? Not at all. Jesus actually healed the friend. He healed the paralytic friend. And I, I read this scripture many times and try to imagine what, what's really happening here. And I, I think at times we look at these miracle stories and we focus in on the fact that a man was healed. And that truly is miraculous. He stood up, he took his mat, and he walked out. But I think at times we miss maybe the true point 
of this story. And it's the friends who are willing to get the man who couldn't get towards Jesus. And they're willing to pick him up and tear through a roof and lower him down before the Savior to see him healed and made whole. My question today is, how many of you would do crazy, audacious, illegal things to see your friends get before Jesus? Anybody in this room? All right. I knew Pastor Corey would raise his hand. How many of you would just do illegal things for fun? We'll pray for you after service. But seriously, they love this guy so much that they would do anything to see him made whole. How crazy is that? And I remember when I first read this scripture, and it, it got into my heart, and it began something, something I just started meditating on. I'm like, man, that's the, that's the kind of friends that I want. And I, I think that's what God intended the church to be. I don't think he intended it just to be a place that we gather and sing songs and hear a message. I think he intended it to be a place, a community full of people that would go crazy out of their way to see others healed and made whole. I'm going to get a little practical here. We actually see that statistics actually approve of this approach to church. So follow this. We see in research that the greatest statistical predictor of someone's spiritual growth is not how good the preaching is. It's not how good the kids' ministry is. It's not how good the worship is. And all those things are excellent. They're important. I'm not saying they're not important. But the number one most important thing is how many close, intimate Christian friends do you have at any given time in your life? It is the most important contributor to your spiritual growth and how satisfied you are with the church. Which is a big deal. Because in the church, many times, we think of ourselves as the consumers or the critics to explain to the pastor how to run the church. But it's not what transforms you. It's how many close, intimate Christian friends do you have at any given time. More than Bible verses memorized. More than services attended. And, and some of y'all are going to have to try really hard to catch up to me and Pastor Corey with church services attended. Intimate Christian community equals transformation. If you want it. If you want it. Once again, I listed 12 key invites that led to a transformation. Get this. You can preach the same quantity of scripture to two people, but the one with intimate spiritual friends, they're more likely to apply the word in their life. There's actually application and accountability to the application of the word that they're hearing. Amen? But James said, when righteous people get together, remember at the beginning, and have honest confession in prayer, what is it? It's powerful. It's effective. Do you believe that today? Guess what? Intimate, supportive friends not only help us spiritually, but research shows it actually helps you physically. Check this out. I think this is crazy. You'll like this. If you don't take anything away, write this down. This will impress your friends. Did you know that socially isolated people are four times more susceptible to the common cold? Check this out. A lack of social relationships jeopardizes coronary health to a degree that rivals cigarette smoking, high blood pressure, blood lipids, obesity, and lack of physical activity. I mean, wow, right? Anybody blown away by that? That's, that's kind of crazy. Does that mean that you can be an obese chain smoker and as long as you have Christian friends, you're good? 
Probably not, but get this. Did you know that the odds of surviving cancer, heart disease, and stroke doubles based on how many intimate and supportive friends you have at any given time? I think it's crazy. We see, if someone invented a pill that would say, would double your odds of surviving cancer, heart disease, and stroke, they would say that that is the medical breakthrough of a lifetime, right? We'd all be popping those pills instead of glucosamine. We'd be taking those pills. But to say that it's intimate, supportive friends, that's just not as fascinating as the pill, right? Because why? It requires us to change. It requires a transformation in our lives, a step taken. We, we have to slow down our lives. We have to go to a venue group, actually. We have to actually show up more than once and say, I go to venue groups. Listen, you can't just pop a pill and go. Relationships exist in the margin of our lives. Do you know that? And we live in a culture today, and we're here to fight culture. We live in a culture that does not value margin. It doesn't. Everything in this world, everything in my story, everything in my life, my history, my past, my success, my promotion, never valued culture, or never valued margin. It valued promotion and self-worth, and recognition, and reward, but not margin. And as I finish today, I'll share one last story for you, a crazy transformational story. See, in Jamaica, there's this woman, and she's very poor, and uh, her name was Vita McKenzie, and she was a young mom. Any young moms in the room? And uh, just like many young moms, her life was filled with the busyness of taking care of all her, her three little kids. She had the diapers, the food, the schedules, trying to keep her home on rhythm. And, and during this busy season of her life, the worst of all things happened. During her day, she just fell over in a paralytic stroke. She went completely comatose. Her eyes rolled back in her head. Her tongue was just hanging to the side. And she's just laying there lifeless. And her friends rushed over, and they called the doctor in this Jamaican town. And the doctor came into the home, and, and they didn't have medical uh, uh, opportunity in, in her area. And they didn't know what to do. And the doctor said, there's really, there's nothing we can do. And the kids are grabbing their mom, and they're, they're wondering why mommy won't wake up. They fully can't understand the tragic circumstance that's happening around them. They're weeping and crying, and these friends came over, and they're so moved. They just, what do we need to do to help our friend Vita? What do we need to do to help our friend come back? What do we need to do to help her? And, and one woman said, hey, I heard about this minister that happens to be in a nearby town. And I heard that in these services he's doing, people are getting healed, and and so they didn't know how to get there. It was several miles away, and they were all very poor, and they didn't have vehicles or anything. And, and so one friend said, hey, we have a wheelbarrow. And so they went and grabbed the wheelbarrow, and they, they threw blankets in it, and, and they, they picked up her lifeless, comatose body, and they, they laid it in the wheelbarrow, and they began the trek of several miles to, to get to this church service and try to make it on time. And and they wheeled her into the church. And just imagine that right now. Someone wheeling a wheelbarrow right down the center aisle to the altar. Listen, they were desperate for her friend to get before Jesus. And they said, no matter what happens and whatever it takes, we want to see our friend healed and made whole. 
And when they wield, I, I don't know what I would do if someone did that. They wield her up there. And the, the minister stops. And so moved by the friends. And so moved by the tragedy. His faith was stirred in that moment. And the room was silent. And he says, in the name of Jesus, open up your eyes and get up. And there was this long, awkward silence, and nothing happened. And then suddenly, the crowd hears a gasp, and she begins to breathe, and she swallowed, and her eyes rolled forward, and she stretched up and out and looked around. Where am I? And like an eruption, the place exploded in praise and worship. And when I think about this story, in Vita, being completely healed and made whole in one moment. When I heard that, I, I couldn't help but think, oh, to have friends like Vita McKenzie. Lord, oh, I want people to have friends who are willing to rip through a roof for them. Do they have friends who are willing to roll their, their lifeless, comatose body before Jesus so that they may be healed and made whole? So I propose that question to you today, church. What is your definition of what it means to be the church? Do you have friends that would rip through a roof for you? Do you have friends that would take your lifeless, comatose body, throw it in a wheelbarrow to get you before Jesus? Because if you cannot give me an affirmative yes for all practical purposes, you're an unchurched Christian. That may mess with you. Listen, we can be attenders of a church and still lack the transformational relationship that brings true joy. And listen, God's plan for us is not to just attend a church. God's plan for us is not to, to become Bible experts with superficial relationships with one another. God wants us to be a part of a community that sees each other to wholeness. And I believe that's what Venue strives to be. Not a church service, but a family. At Substance, we say this all the time. Church truly does not start until the service is over. It's found in the margins of your life. It's found in true relationships. It's the application of God's word in our heart. So today, do we ourselves even know what it means to be churched? I mean, we sing about it all the time. It's, it's the blood of Christ that heals, right? But where does the blood of Christ flow? Through the body of Christ. And who is that body? You are. You're the church. You're the church. You're the church. It's just not enough anymore. We got to get real. We got to get vulnerable. We got to get humiliated a little bit. We got to start getting honest. And as I close right now, would you close your eyes with me? I sense God's presence in this place. His Holy Spirit is here. He wants to transform us every single day. And there's some of you in this room right now, and you have areas that you have, have been dealing with, and you haven't actually gone to the place of confession. And God is calling you He's inviting you to confess to someone 
today, today, today. Don't schedule it, today. Confess today. And others of you in this room, you hear this message and you already have an amazing circle of friends in your life. But God is putting isolated people on your heart to reach out to, to live on mission for those that maybe were like me, eight rows back with my arms crossed in an auditorium. And maybe some in this room are like me, young, successful business owner and completely empty in my life with no accountability and no vulnerability at all. And you're just confused today and you're desperate for help. Look at me, I, I see you. I know you, I was you. God has more for you. God has joy for you. He has peace. I could ask anybody in this world, do you want more joy? Do you want more peace? They all say yes. Here's an invitation to get it today. God can do anything. And right now, if you reach out to him, I believe you are gonna experience a miracle today. Today, today. I believe it. And so with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I, want, I just want to give an opportunity to respond. And maybe you're in this room and saying, there's people that I need to include in my circle of influence. And I believe that the Lord will give you a name and a face and how to include them right now. Pray about it. Ask God to reveal names and faces to you. And there's some in this room right now and you're one step in, you're one step out, and you haven't, you've gotten 80%, but you haven't dealt with that last 20%. And you just need to confess it. You need to move past it. You need to experience the joy and freedom that there is in Christ Jesus today. I invite you, take a step today. And lastly, I believe there's some in this room today and you have never given your life to Christ. You've never gone all in. You've never made the, made the leap into salvation with Jesus. And, and I also think there's some in this room that you need a reset in your life. It's been too long. It's been too ambiguous. It's been too basic. It's been too lacking faith. It's been too just settling for the culture of this world. And you need a reset in your life. So I'm going to invite the last two into a response right now. If you need to give your life to Christ today, you're going all in from brokenness to transformation, or you need a reset in your life. At this moment, right now, no turning back. Would you, in faith, with boldness in your heart, comfortable with humiliation, just put your hand up boldly with me right now. I need a reset in my life. I need to accept Jesus as my Savior. I need to experience him now. I see you. 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 God sees you. He sees you. Bless you. It's the greatest decision of our lives. And so, Heavenly Father, we... We want to experience you. We want the joy of the Lord to be our strength. We want the peace that surpasses all understanding to guard and guide us. 
We need you today, God. We're desperate for you today. We're desperate for a transformation in our life. We do not want to be the same. And so God, if we need to be the inviter, God, compel us to invite people to be a part of what we're doing. If we need to confess sin today, God, God, I, I confess my sin today. I'm going to take a step. I'm going to go to someone. I'm going to release it today. And God, I make the decision to follow you today. I'm all in. I'm all in. I need you, Holy Spirit, to be my strength. Would you all do this with me to, to end this moment and end this time? I just want to invite every single one of us to do a, a repeat after me prayer. And as we do this, I believe we're just sealing in our hearts alignment with our Father. So would you repeat after me? Dear God, forgive me. Renew me. I want to live for you. Starting today and for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.